listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Prayer, that was so beautiful. God, thanks. Whew, what a gift. Help us experience you as beautiful and as really good today. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, welcome, friends, uh, on Zoom and here in person. I am Bill White, one of the co-pastors at City Church, and it is really good to be here. Makes me happy. It's a little chilly. So there are, this is the sun section over here. If you feel like you need to get up and move during the message, just get up and move. It's totally fine. Uh, and uh, yeah, so also uh, there are restrooms inside here. The auditorium, you go in, you take a left, and the restroom is up those stairs if you need that. Um, so just a reminder of who we are as a church. We say this every Sunday, but it's, it's, it matters to us that you would know that we uh, City Church, we're a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And that's what we're all about. And so we're glad that you're here to be a part of that uh, community with us. Uh, we want to especially bless our kiddos because kids matter. Kids matter a lot. And so uh, Serena Becker is going to pray for us today. Thank you so much for Serena. If you would give it up for Serena Becker. Good morning, everyone. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for bringing us today to be together. Thank you for allowing us to pray over our children. They are such a light in our world, and we're just so grateful for them. Let them to have fun, to experience the joys of life. Let them to just be themselves and know no bounds. Guide us as their parents, their guardians, the grown-ups around them, their role models. Guide us to help them really learn what life is all about and to learn resilience and to just be good people. Give us patience, kindness, and love towards them. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, Serena. Uh, if you would welcome up the other co-pastor here, Brenna Rubio. Uh, oh, sorry, I put that little, little bit of an obstacle course today. Moved the wrong way. Um, so we are in a new sermon series, and we are looking up to Easter. So from here to Easter, traditionally, the church has called this Lent, which is a period of kind of preparation. And, and in doing so, we want to think about the spiritual life in some ways to, to kind of get a framework for us. So this is kind of a big picture sermon series that would go on for the next six weeks. And we're, we're thinking about it. Um, I had a friend of mine ask me, like, hey, what are you preaching on today? What are you guys doing as a church? And she's from a Hindu background and is not particularly, you know, she's not involved in any religion right now. And so we're actually in the in the car. We're driving. I drove back from Palm Springs this morning uh, with my brother and my mom and with this friend, and she was asking about what are we doing. And I said, Well, I was trying to think about it in ways that make sense to normal people. Um, and I said, Well, it's we're looking at the different um, ups and downs of life, the, the different seasons that we all face, and there are seasons that are really good, and there are seasons that are really hard. And then there's some seasons where you're kind of holding the good and the hard intention. 
And she's like, oh, that sounds really interesting. I said, yeah, and it, it kind of affects, it, it affects our spiritual life because sometimes in our spiritual life, everything's good, and sometimes it feels like everything's bad, and then sometimes we feel like we're holding everything in, in kind of a healthy tension. And she's like, oh, that makes sense. And then I said, well, you know, it's, it's really about how we pray. And so that's specifically what we're talking about is given that life has seasons and our spiritual life has seasons, our prayer life, what we say back to God and how we interact has seasons. There are seasons where everything makes sense. It's good, right? And the sun is shining and you're in the warmth. And then there are other seasons where you've forgotten you wore a short sleeve shirt and you're sitting in the cold, you know, and you're like frigid. <laughs> it's like this is Let's admit, this would make even more sense to people who are not from California. This that's whole talk of seasons. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and then there are those seasons where you can hold both in, in intention, right? And so this week and next week, we're talking about those seasons where everything is good. And it's important to live in that simple faith. It's almost like a childlike faith and recognize, yeah, there are seasons where everything is good. And we just want to acknowledge that. There are the other seasons. We'll talk about those. We'll complicate it here in a minute. Mm -hmm. But today and next week, we want to think about those seasons when things are good and how do we respond to God. So there's, a, there's an Old Testament scholar who's had a lot of influence who has a helpful way of thinking about the psalm, and so this prayer that we're going to read today, Psalm 1. And, and what he does is he says it's, it's like a picture of creation. And so he talks a little bit about creation theology. Creation theology, remember God made the, the, the world and said everything's good, right? Everything is ordered and, and right. So this is how Walter Brueggemann puts it. He's talking about prayers like the one we're praying today. These psalms, in various ways, are expressions of creation faith. They're an affirmation that God's faithfulness and goodness are experienced as generosity, continuity, and regularity. Life is experienced as protected space. Chaos is not present to us and is not permitted a hearing in this well-ordered world. And that's what we're talking about, those parts of our life or that season where everything makes sense. Lisa Sharon Harper, she talks about this as shalom, when there's peace, there's wholeness, individually and for the community. And it's important to recognize these because we experience this. And how do we talk to God? in those times and how do we think about the spiritual life there um so i would like to invite up nicole makatrao who's going to read scripture for us today if you'd welcome nicole and as you as you listen to the this passage the the, the person who's writing this prayer actually references creation talking about leaves that never wither and, and there's always bearing fruit it's this picture of the original story right of, of god's picture of creation in genesis chapter one so uh, and why don't we stand in honor of God and God's word? And if you're on Zoom, you don't have to, like, stand. If, but you can if you want. Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in, in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. 
For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Nicole. So this morning, you know, as I was kind of getting going for my day, drinking some coffee, I was, you know, scrolling through Instagram, as I too often do. Uh, and I, I found myself caught by an image that a friend of mine had posted. And it was an image of Putin as if Putin is riding in a train and looking at his reflection in the mirror, except instead of his reflection, it was a reflection of Hitler. And this image just, it just grabbed me, right? You know, just kind of like, well, this is, this is a powerful image, you know, so quickly summing up, you know, what my friend is, is sharing is like a reaction and a really visceral, you know, gut, like basically saying evil, right? Like that's what, as soon as you see that image, what you go is evil, wickedness, just evoking just one of the most horrific collective memories that we have in the modern era. And, and so I, I bring that image with me as I listen to Nicole read our passage this morning, talking about the wicked and the righteous. Because I, I'm just aware that we want that. We need that sometimes. We need this sense of moral clarity to say, yes, there is right and there is wrong. And that when we see innocent people, um, people who have done nothing, being subjected to just atrocities, when we see people who are, you know, peacefully sleeping in their homes, and the cops bust in and, and suddenly there's a loss of life. When, when all of these different things happen, there's, there's this piece of us that longs for the world to be simple, that we would be able to just collectively say, yes, the wicked versus the righteous. And then there's this other piece of me, this other piece of me that really reacts very strongly to the language in this psalm and the idea of calling someone wicked. Because I grew up in the kind of churches that instilled in me a real fear of my own wickedness. This real sense um, that there are so many ways that I could get life wrong and maybe make God really angry at me, right? That there were just all of these, these to-do lists, to-be-good lists, good versus evil. And some of the things on those lists, like, I think of now, and I think they're so silly, right? Like, tattoos. <laughs> Friends, those of you here who have tattoos, no, I no longer think you're evil. <laughs> but the churches I grew up in, that was absolutely the sense. Drinking. In some of the churches I went to, dancing. I mean, the lists were just never ending, it seems like. The things that could put you in this side of, of wickedness. And as an adult, I, you know, I look at even situations like the war happening right now between Russia and Ukraine. And, and of course, there are places where it feels simple. And yet, in so many ways, we're seeing the complications. 
We know that not all the Russian soldiers are evil versus they're following orders, complicit in evil. But, but do we want to actually call them wicked? And some of the people doing good things, letting refugees across borders. Are we calling them righteous? What about when they deny the people with darker skin and push them to the back of the line? Ugh, it actually gets so complicated, these words, the wicked versus the righteous. So what if it's not actually about this need we have to want to sort people into the good camp and the bad camp? What if it's not about the list that I held growing up? What if it is actually is about that creation story that Bill was pointing us back to? What does it mean to live into creational goodness, who we were meant to be? And in any given moment, we may be leaning into that more, or we may be leaning into it less, right? Lisa Sharon Harper, who wrote a book uh, that many of us here read together a, a year or so ago called The Very Good Gospel, as she thinks about just that original creation story and, excuse me, what went right and what went wrong back there in the garden, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. She pictures it as, as if we were made to trust. We were made to be in relationship with God. We were made to, to live in intimacy. It's that picture that we get here in the psalm of a tree planted in deep water. That's what God is. God is the water. God is this, this never-ending resource that we have to connect to, this, this fountain of love and joy that we just get to, to sink our roots into deep. And so trust is what it means to be righteous. Trust just means, righteousness just means living in, drinking deep. It's actually nothing to do with us. It's just this posture we have towards God. She puts it this way, if I can find it from my notes that I just dropped. <laughs> do I love God? To love God is to trust God, to choose God, and to choose God's way to peace and wholeness. It's not a one-time thing. It's not checking off the boxes. It's, it's this posture of the heart to love and trust and lean in, and it affects how we live. I love the picture here. As much as I react at first to these words, the righteous and the wicked, the picture I resonate with, man, I want to be a tree. I want to be that tree with deep roots. I want to I want to spread, right? I want to live a life of flourishing and abundance and peace. It's a gorgeous picture to connect and to truly be who I'm meant to be and in the context of community, in the context of people just like you, that this, this is what it means to be righteous. It's, it's to live in love. And so when you're in that, in that mindset, right, that, that's how you pray, right? You say, wow, God, you're good, right? And you, you get to dwell there. And there's a sense of 
and you get to talk about this, right, with God. Like, yes, this is how I, I'm going to pray right now in this season. Again, we'll talk about the other seasons. The other seasons will come, no doubt. I want to press on from what, what Brenda mentioned there, this kind of some of the triggering around wicked and, and righteous. There's some other triggering in this passage. I mean, the Bible is full of it. So it's this word law, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit tricky. You know, I, I delight, they delight to meditate on Yahweh's law day and night. Uh, and the wicked don't like the law, the righteous love the law. And I want us to, to take a minute and think about this. I think it can actually be kind of helpful for us. Um, one, one way to think about it is that in, in a lot of Jewish translations, this idea of law is very different than what we as Christians think about as law, in part because of the teachings of Paul in the New Testament, which, I mean, it, there's some helpful things there as he teaches about law, but it's a little bit of a divergence of, of some of how Jesus thinks about it. There's some, ten, some tension there. But really largely through uh, the course of history, whether you're Catholic or you're Christian, there's a sense of, of law is you're good or you're bad. You did it or you didn't do it. You're guilty or you're innocent, right? Whereas our, our siblings who are Jewish think about law not that way and would even translate this, uh, or blessed is those who delight in the teachings or the teaching of Yahweh, the body of material that is Scripture. And those who delight in what God has said and what God has revealed. Not those who meticulously try to get it all right. And the condemnation is not for those who get some of it wrong. Even at the, at the end of the, you remember the, the last verse that Nicole read for us, is it says, for Yahweh watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So it, it's not even talking specifically about the wicked will perish, or the righteous will find life. It's the way of the wicked, and it's the way of the righteous. It's, it's the goodness of, as God reveals like how to live in fullness, that's where life is. And for those of us who take advantage of others, discriminate, and are violent in our, our actions and our words, this is the way that is not according to the teaching, right? It's about breaking relationship, disconnecting with God and with others. And so now as we come to Scripture, it's really helpful. Nadia Boltz-Weber has this great quote that, uh, that Brenna shared with me where it's this idea that that the Bible's gotten a little bit beat up over the years, and in some ways that's kind of helpful because we're rethinking some of it, those of us who've had a difficult relationship with the Bible. But listen to what she says. She says, there's something about the Bible and Orthodox Christian teachings, the creeds, the Bible, the liturgy, and most certainly and importantly, the gospel, 
that even the church can't mess up. She uses a different word than mess. If you know Nadia, she's... Um, we've, we've tried. We've tried to um, mess it up. And we've done a lot of damage, but there's a resiliency to it. The central message of the Bible for me is the revelation of how God chose to reveal God's self in Christ. And sure, there, there's a lot of messy things in there, but the central message holds. And that's what this is talking about. This is like, this is how we get to pray. We get to lean into that central message. What matters? What's most important? Right? And this idea of law as good, bad, right, wrong, wicked, righteous, man, that's not as helpful and it's not as in line. So Meredith Miller, who did a little bit of coaching for some of our families here uh, about six weeks ago, she has this great line where she's talking about kids and how do we care for kids and help kids rise up in a healthier religious atmosphere than perhaps some of us were raised in. And she says this, in my experience, children need very little help to understand sin. They see its effects quite clearly. They feel its pain in their lives. What they need help to understand is their identity as beloved children of God, of a God who fights to the death to be sure that sin loses. Right? It's this different orientation towards the teaching that is not trying to condemn and say who's in and who's out. It's this beckoning of relationship, of like be connected to God. This is why Christ came. And this is why we're given Scripture, to, to look and to find that trail through it. So we're going to do something that we do about every maybe six weeks or so here at City Church now. We are going to break into some small groups. Now, I want to... Acknowledge that this can be slightly awkward. Some of us are brand new here today. I'm so sorry. But it's actually a chance to meet another human being, right? And, and people tend to be fairly kind. So we're going to break into groups. Um, and on Zoom, I think, I think Zoom is probably already handling this, but there's some questions for you to discuss. Our question's here. Um, so we're going to break in groups of like four, maybe five. Like all you people over here, that's two groups. No, last time there was cheating. And I'm watching you this time, okay? Two groups over here, okay? Um, so five, it could be six maximum, all right? And you're going to try to share your name. Like, hey, who are you? This, that, and the other, right? Oh, good. Nice to meet you. Um, and then you're going you're gonna to respond like, huh, has anything stood out to me so far? Right? But, oh, God, that, that thought or that idea. And then I want you to share like, um, is there a spot in your life where things are going well? Where you can be like, yeah, God is good. I see it. All right, so, so one is anything standing. I'm giving you three options. You just discuss in your little group. So um, anything standing out to you so far? Is there a place in your life where you sense God is good? And number three is if you're, really, if you're ready for it, what is the central message of life? It's the basic meaning of life question. Just nail that in your groups, right? Because that's what this is about. Like, it's about the teaching. It's about what matters. So go to your groups. Now you've got about eight minutes.
You're invited, guys. Conversations, I love it. We are going to draw it back together. It is always so hard. I love the phrase bookmark. So if you are in a good conversation right now, I'm not asking you to end it. I'm asking you to bookmark it. And then when the service is over, you get to go right back to that amazing conversation and hear that amazing story. Okay? So the bookmark, the bookmark is good. You know, for me, when I was reading this passage, you know, as I worked my way past all of those trigger words, the wicked and the righteous, the law, and I made it through it again, trying to read it again just with sort of fresher eyes, a more open, less triggered heart, I was really surprised to find in myself this deep pool of longing. Like, I wish things were still that simple for me. I kind of long for that, that sense of just creational goodness and, and if the world could just be that simple. Uh, I was reading this week an amazing sermon by uh, a pastor a scholar and reverend named Will Gaffney. She's a womanist scholar, which really, really roughly just means she, it's like kind of a black feminist theology, though she would say womanism is to feminism as deep purple is to lavender, which I think is super awesome and evocative. Um, so she's a womanist theologian, and she was talking to a bunch of seminary students, you know, the people who want to be pastors someday. And she says this about seminary, though I think it's true just about life. She says, seminary or life messes with your theology, and you didn't even know you had a theology, <laughs> let alone that it was embedded. You just knew what you believed, and that was the way it was. There was no interpretation. Faith was simple, not simple-minded. And, and that's the longing that I feel inside myself as I read this psalm, that life could be that simple again, not simple-minded, but that I could just, just be with God like a tree putting its, its roots down deep into the river. But I also acknowledge that some of us, as we're here today, that longing itself brings up just the reality in us that we don't, we don't feel that way. That as we look at our lives, man, it feels, it feels much more complicated. And in fact, just the picture of I can either be dead chaff or I can be a beautiful flourishing tree just feels like, really? Do, are those my only options? Because <laughs> I'm not sure either one really hits where I am right now. And so here's the story that Will Gaffney suggests. Uh, another story from scripture, this time a story that Jesus told, also about a tree. So Jesus told this parable in the book of Luke, chapter 13, 
a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man said, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, well, then I guess you can cut it down. And I thought, yes, that kind of tree. It's a tree that's not dead yet. It's not. It's just, just not quite flourishing, right? Like it's there. It's just, it's not quite giving the fruit that we wanted. And I just lest you be confused, God in this story is not the guy saying, bad tree, cut it down. That's not, that's not God's character. Actually, a lot of times that's me looking at my own life, going, I'm frustrated. Why am I not producing the fruit that I thought I was supposed to produce by 40 or 30 or whatever stage you're at? What supposed to's? What should's do you have going on in your head? This is how I'm supposed to be. Why can't I be that flourishing tree? Where is the fruit? God's not that character in the story. God is the patient gardener. God is the one saying, let's give it a while. But here's the other piece of the story that cracks me up. Uh, and I needed Reverend Will Gaffney to point this out to me. Because God, the patient gardener, says, let's slap some manure on that. God issues on us, is how Reverend Gaffney puts it. Yes, that's what the gospel teaches us. Only Jesus calls it manure in the parable of the fig tree. It was, as I said once in a children's sermon, a stinky and sticky mess. What if you get to be that kind of tree? The one who not only needs the deep water, but man, the one who is just getting some manure slapped on it these days. I, <laughs> I don't know exactly why I need to tell you this this morning, but I just feel like I do. If you're that kind of tree, that's good too. And God is actually at work, the patient gardener in your life, working that deep goodness. It's just a different season for you today. Friends, um, I'm supposed to invite someone up to pray, and I forgot who it is.